This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. All right, so today we're going to continue and finalize our series that we, have, we started uh, two weeks ago. And the title is going to come up on the screen there. It is titled, What It Means to Be an Heir of God. I trust that you enjoyed discovering what it means to be an heir of God. Because you are. You're an heir of God. You have an inheritance in Jesus. Right? Aren't you excited about that? I sure am. I'm glad that I have an inheritance. Praise God. And so what it means to be an heir of God. And this is part three. And in part three, we are going to finalize by talking about our inheritance in Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. When I was studying, preparing for this part, as far as our inheritance in Jesus, let me tell you something. This could become a mega series because there is so much that we inherit in Jesus. I mean, if you look at the promises alone, because we inherit the promises, right? But if you look at the promises alone, there are thousands, thousands and thousands of promises that we inherit. And so if I was to go through all of them, We'd be here a long time. And maybe at some point, you know, we need to cover a little bit here and there. But it is just so powerful what we inherit in Jesus. And so let's read our flagship scripture for the series, which is Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, the first part of verse 17. It says, the Spirit himself, now notice that's talking about the Holy Spirit, because both capitals. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So whose witness do you need? God's. And who gives it to you? The Holy Spirit. So do you have to care if anyone else tells you that you're not a child of God? No, because the Holy Spirit gives you the witness, right? That you're a a child of God, children of God. Then it says, and if children, in other words, if you have the testimony from the Holy Spirit, if you have that witness from the Holy Spirit, then heirs, heirs of God, can you imagine that, being an heir of God? Remember I shared in the series about the illustration? If the richest person on the planet left their inheritance to you, that makes you a pretty powerful heir. And yet here it says that we are heirs of God. I mean, God owns everything. God, we don't even know, you know, how extent his ownership is, if you will. But yet we inherit that. And then it says, and joint heirs with Christ. So we don't, we're not just heirs of Jesus, we are joint heirs with Jesus. So we, whatever Jesus inherits from God, you and I inherit. And because we inherit what Jesus inherits, and Jesus inherits what God has, that's what makes us heir of God. So you could read that backwards. It's, you know, joint heirs with Christ, and as a result, heirs of God. Because Jesus inherits all God has. And we are joint heirs with him, so we inherit all God has too. Because we are joint heirs with Jesus, right? It would be like, uh, you know, siblings that inherit from a parent who's no longer here, they, and they inherit equally, well, they are joint heirs. They've inherited equally. But now here's the thing. You know, in our natural sense, let's just say that you have someone who had four children. And so essentially, in most cases, unless they specify differently, but in most cases, they would split up their inheritance into equal fours, so 25%, right? So each of those children would get an equal share. So they are joint heirs, but they get a smaller portion. Well, if you study this, it's not saying that we get a portion based on how many we are. What it's saying is is that all of us inherit 100% of what Jesus has, which is what God has. So there's no such thing as, you know, you have this, this much percent. God does, he, his wealth, his riches, are, what he has is immeasurable. So, but he says that he has created and engineered, if you will, the whole thing in a way that you and I get to inherit 100% of all that he has because he doesn't run out. Isn't that awesome? So what Jesus inherits, you inherit equally 100%. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's powerful. I'm thinking, can our mind even compute that? Can you imagine the richest person in the world, even their inheritance, if they had a number of uh, heirs, even their wealth has to be split up to some degree. It could be billions, fine, but it still has to be split up. 
God's inheritance does not get split up because there is 100% of it for every single one of us. I don't know if you heard what I said, but I hope that you did. Isn't that awesome? You inherit the fullness, the fullness of his inheritance. And so that's what that says there. And so as children of God, we inherit all that Jesus has and all that Jesus is. So whatever Jesus is to God, you and I inherit that. And didn't he say that we are also his brethren or his sisterin, right? So we are, we are as his. And doesn't 1 John 4, 17, for example, it's not on the screen, but doesn't it tell us that as he is, so are we. Not only in this world, but in the, in time, in, in the one to come. So the way Jesus is, is the way God sees you and I. How does he see Jesus? Does he see him as his son, as his child? Yes, he does. Does he see him holy? Does he see him righteous? Does he see him loved? That's the way he sees you and I. You see, religion, legalism, people's opinion will tell you otherwise. But that's what God says. He sees us the way he sees Jesus. Amen. So we inherit all that he is. So we inherit his identity and also we inherit all that he has, which is what God has. Amen. And of course, remember that we saw that all humanity is God's offspring. Because who else fathered humanity? Hello? Isn't that so? So yeah, every single human being on earth is God's offspring. There is no other father to humanity. It is all God. But remember, so they all are God's children. But really and truly, not all live in that reality. Remember we saw this in Acts chapter 17, 28, where Paul was speaking to the unsaved. And he said, one of your poets got it right. He says, you are God's offspring. But then he goes on to explain to them about stepping into that reality. Amen. And so we step into that reality how? By receiving salvation in Jesus. Because then what happens is, is that a transformation happens, a conversion happens, our spirit is reborn. Remember, he begets us again. So he becomes our father again by that receiving of salvation. Amen. And that's when we step into that reality. And God calls that, that process, he calls that adoption. And biblical adoption is when God accepts us and receives us in Jesus as his sons and daughters. It's not when, you know, we came from another parent and now God takes us as, no, it's not like that at all. He's been our parent all along. It is when we step into that reality that God receives us. In actual fact, I was studying some of this uh, in those times when Paul wrote this. And, you know, the Greeks specifically, when they wrote, um, or should I say, their historical record, it, it's amazing. Maybe one day I'll just teach a, a message just on that. But in Roman times, in Greek times, being adopted was actually better than being born to someone. In those days, if they felt, let's just say someone had two children, and they just didn't feel comfortable leaving their wealth to those two children because maybe one was careless, maybe one was too young. And so what they would do is they would actually go and look for a child who had no biological parents, if you will, or who was in need of being adopted. And even sometimes they adopted someone who was willing to be their child. They would actually adopt them into their family. And that adopted child would have a greater status than their own biological children. That's what adoption is. And this is what Paul is talking about. So, for example, I think there's, I don't know if it's Ben-Hur, one of those old classical movies that is biblical-based. That actually happens. One of those heroes actually gets adopted by one of the Caesars. And he gets a greater status than his own biological children. Because that's the way God sees it. So this is the heart that God is bringing across to us here. What he's saying is, is that this is when he accepts and receives us as his sons and daughters and gives us preference, gives us a greater status than the ones who haven't received him, even though they are his children. Isn't that powerful? I mean, it's, it's amazing. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it some other time. So the first step of stepping into airship is doing exactly that. Receiving salvation in Jesus, realizing that I am a child of God, but I need to step into that reality by receiving salvation in Jesus, and then you become 
or you get accepted as a son or a daughter of God, and that's your first step into heirship. Now you become an heir of God. Then secondly, or the second step into heirship is what? The realization that we are not servants of God, but children of God. How much of religion today, how much of mainstream Christianity today focuses on us being servants of God? And are we servants of God? We serve Him. Yes, we love serving Him. It's good to serve Him. But do we identify ourselves as servants more than we do as children of God, as sons and daughters of God? If we do, we're making a great mistake. Because, again, going back to that culture, servants were people from the outside. And oftentimes they were owned by their master. And servants were never children. And therefore they could never inherit. I mean, even Abraham, you know, he was desperate at one point because he was trying to work through with the promise of God. And he said, well, am I going to leave this to my servant? And look how well he treated his servant. But he still wouldn't be in line to inherit. So it had to be a choice. But the point is, is that servants don't inherit. Only children do. So if you want to step into the fullness of your inheritance from God, you need to see yourself before God as a child of God, not a servant of God. Now for us, it may be you know, something we're familiar with, we understand. But there's so many people out there who don't. They put the focus on being a servant. I used to do that. In my BG days, before Grace days, I was a big service and servant proponent. Some of you may have even been at some of those meetings where I pull out my Obed-Edom messages and show you how Obed-Edom, you know, he, was, he wasn't part of the children of Israel. He was actually a Philistine. He was a descendant of a Philistine. So he wasn't even from the tribe, of, you know, from the nation of Israel. But yet David chose to leave the Ark of the Covenant at his house because remember they got it wrong the first time and they thought, you know, some tragic happened. So they left it in his house and he began to prosper because he took care of the Ark he had a heart for God. And so then eventually David realized, okay, I think we know we shouldn't, we're not supposed to put the cart, the, uh, the cart before the horse, that's what I'm doing. You're not supposed to put the ark on a cart and transport it that way. You're supposed to have the priest on all four points carry the ark. That's a mistake they made the first time, you remember? And so they went and got it. What did Obed-Edom do? He followed them into Jerusalem. And then when they got to Jerusalem, he signed up to be a greeter. He worked at, as a guard at the, at the gate of the temple. He signed up to be one who serves and puts out the lamps and everything in the temple. He signed up to be a worshiper. He signed up for everything he could sign up. Why? Because he wanted to be near the Ark of the Covenant, near the blessing of God. Now, you think about him doing that. That's the heart of a servant. And so that's what I would do. I would go and preach this thing to people because, you know, you want people involved in serving in church. But unfortunately, we make the mistake of helping them identify themselves as servants instead of children of God. And so as much as it applied to him and as much as service is good, that is an Old Testament type and shadow. We cannot identify ourselves as servants in the new covenant. Amen. So are you a servant of God? Or are you a child of God? Or even better, are you a son or daughter of God? Right? All right. And then, of course, in Galatians 4, verses 1 to 5, it showed us how relating to God by law will cause us to see ourselves as servants and not sons and daughters. Isn't that so? I mean, I think about my daughter, Gabby, and, you know, if, if the relationship that I had with her was one of, if you do things in the house and you measure up to it, then we love you, we accept you. But if you don't, then, you know, find your own way. <laughs> that would be horrible, don't you think? But if we had that kind of relationship, then what she has to do is, what she has to do is develop a relationship with us based on her merits and her performance, which is what the law is, the old covenant uh, law, the old, the old covenant, right? And so she would have to relate to us. By, and so at the end of the day, you know, let's just say five years from now of us having that kind of relationship with her, or her having that kind of relationship with us. And I know sometimes she thinks it's like that, but it's not. <laughs> I was, we were having a conversation the other day, and I said to her, you know, you really need to ask God to show you. And I'm not saying I got it perfect, but my dad, oh, my dad, 
My role in your life is to be your dad first and foremost. I want to be your friend, but I need to be your dad while I have that opportunity. And so, but anyway, so besides all of that, but if, let's just say five years from now, if that's how we built our relationship, a, a, a relationship based on performance and merit, so do you think in those five years, at the end of those five years, or let's just say 10 years, do you think she will see herself as my daughter or as someone who serves to have acceptance? Probably as someone who serves to have acceptance. She'll have a service mindset. She'll have a servant mindset. And is that good? No. I want her to know first and foremost that we love her regardless of her merits and performance. It's hard sometimes, but you have to do it. And I want to do it. But that's the, how God loves us. Amen. Are you all with me today? I'm not taking jabs at my daughter in case you think that's, that, that wasn't even prepared or planned here. So for that reason, because the law basically causes us, and really I'm saying this lightly, but it forces us to see ourselves as servants instead of children of God. And because of that, for that reason, Jesus came and freed us from relating to God by law. One of the main reasons why he freed us from the law is so that we can relate to God as sons and daughters, not as servants. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. Somebody? All right, so let's have a look at Acts chapter 26, verse 13 and 18. There's some more things I want to show you here about inheritance in Jesus and what we have. Now, what we're about to read is Saul, who became Paul, Saul's experience on the road to Damascus. Remember that he was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. You could say the Jewish high court, if you will. And before he understood salvation in Jesus, he was vehemently going after those who had converted to Christianity, and he was <clears throat> putting them to death. He was having them put in jail and so forth. We're having a preaching competition here. Can you hear someone out there shouting? All right, well, I'm going to shout louder. <laughs> I can crank myself up. But anyway... And so here he is on the road to Damascus, having acquired letters from the, from the high priest to go and arrest some people in Damascus. And so he's on his way there, and as you know, he has his encounter with the Lord Jesus, and that's where he receives salvation in Jesus, and his life is transformed. So this is the account, but I want to show you something here about that. So Acts 26, verse 13 to 18, from the Amplified. It says, at midday, now he's explaining what happened to him. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven surpassing the brightness of the sun. Can you imagine something brighter than the sun? Have you ever tried looking up at the sun just for a split? Don't do that. It's not good for your eyes. But you know you can't do it for long. And he says that this light surpassed the brightness of the sun. I mean, this is the glory of God. Shining all around me and those who were traveling with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, notice they all fell to the ground, I heard a voice in Hebrew dialect, Jewish Aramaic, saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's a hard, it is hard for you to kick repeatedly against the goads offering pointless resistance. Now, if you're not sure what that is, in those days, and even today they use it to some degree, uh, you know we have two oxen that are pulling the, when you're having a plow. There's a device behind them that is just behind their, um, their shins, their heels, if you will. And if they slow down, or if they don't keep the same pace, that thing has pricks on it. And so if, they, if one of them slows down, those pricks immediately prick them. So it forces them to stay in uniform and keep performing the same way. And that's what this is talking about. So he's saying, Paul, why are you resisting? Because you're getting, you know, this is the resistance you're getting. Then it says in verse 15, And I said, Who are you, Lord? That's like you, say, you know, me coming and saying, for the first time we meet, and I say, Hi, how are you? Who are you, Marco? How do you know my name? Obviously, you know me. But nonetheless, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, I believe that Paul wasn't trying to act dumb. I believe he was trying to figure out, is this the old covenant and the law God? Or is this the new covenant that I hear about? I think that's what he was trying to do. But verse 16, get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you to serve as a minister and as a witness to testify with authority, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, choosing you for myself and rescuing you from the Jewish people 
and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Now watch this from verse 18. In verse 18. To open their spiritual eyes. So to open their eyes. Now their eyes were open, naturally. It's to, have, to help them receive revelation, right? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. In other words, so that they can become children of God, receive salvation. And from the power of Satan to God. Now watch this. That they may receive forgiveness and release from their sins. And, what does it say next? An inheritance among those who have been sanctified, set apart, made holy by faith in me. This is powerful. Because this is basically God's call to Paul. Saul who became Paul. And he points out two things. He says, Paul, I want you to share the gospel, right? And in, in you sharing the gospel, I need you, you need to share it in such a way, and he showed him what to do. But he says, I need you to make sure that people's eyes, spiritual eyes, internal eyes are opened so that they can see two things. One, that there is forgiveness in Jesus of all their sin. Not some sin, not partial sin, all sin, right? Aren't you glad about that? Secondly, is what? So they can see, so their eyes can be opened, and they can see that they have an inheritance in Jesus. I mean, of the most important things that God could have mentioned here, what does he mention? Understanding forgiveness, meaning that you are a child of God and a son or daughter of God, and so you step into that reality. Secondly, not a servant, obviously, but secondly, that you understand and your eyes are open to the inheritance you have in Jesus. Because if you don't understand your inheritance, if you are not familiar with your inheritance, then you're going to live a defeated life as a son and or daughter of God. Isn't that so? I mean, how would you react if that was you? If God said to you, I'm calling you to preach the gospel, and here's what you need to focus on, making sure they understand the forgiveness of their sins in and through Jesus, Secondly, make sure they understand their inheritance in Jesus. Would you put priority on those two things? Of course we would. Isn't that so? So you can see here that Paul's mission was specifically to help people step into the reality of sonship or daughtership. And secondly, the revelation of their inheritance. Amen. I love the way the Living Bible puts it. The, the Old Living Translation. The Living Bible it's called. Watch how it puts verse 18. To open their eyes to their true condition so that they may repent. In other words, receive salvation in Jesus and live in the light of God. In other words, as sons and daughters of God instead of in Satan's darkness. Then it says, so that they may receive forgiveness for their sins and God's inheritance along with all the people everywhere whose sins are cleansed away, who are set apart by faith in me. Now notice, there's no sign there. There's no indication that you have to qualify for that inheritance. When you receive salvation in Jesus, you receive your inheritance. Praise God. Amen. No pre-qualifiers. You receive it. So the gospel, well, from what we see there, is, is that it's meant to point us to A, redemption in Jesus, so that we can step into the reality that we are a son or a daughter of God. And secondly, that we are an heir of God. That we inherit that all God has. You don't inherit a portion. You don't inherit based on your performance. You inherit the, full, the fullness of, his, of what he has. Amen? If we are co-heirs with Jesus, do you inherit a little bit of Jesus? Does God look at all of humanity and say, okay, there are about 8 billion on the planet now. Divide that. Divide 100% by 8 billion and give them their portion. What portion do you think you'll get? <laughs> but that's not what you get. You get 100% of his inheritance. And he says that's what we need to see when we hear the gospel. So if the gospel that is being preached to you is not telling you that you are forgiven of all of your sin, past, present, and future, because all your personal sin was in the future tense when Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished, you weren't alive then. So how could your sin be past, present, or future? It was all future. So he dealt with the entirety of your sin, right? 
And so to understand that first and foremost, but secondly, to understand your inheritance in Jesus. In other words, who you are and what you have in Jesus. That's why we put an emphasis on that. Amen. And so that's what we have. And so how do we access these realities? By believing God and putting our trust in Him. Amen. Do you believe that God's made you an heir? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. So do you have trust and confidence that it will manifest in your life? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. You're not just speaking Christianese? Because there are many professionals. I mean, I used to say that. I said, I speak, and I used to brag about all the languages I speak. You know, I speak uh, English. I speak Spanish. I speak Afrikaans. I understand Italian and can speak it enough to get along with. And I also speak tongues, but also I speak Christianese. How are you doing today, brother? This is the Lord, day the Lord has made. I will be blessed and rejoice in it. On top, but not about... How does the guy... I've even forgotten because I... <laughs> But I used to know all those cliches, which is what I call Christianese. Now listen, if you mean them and you are believing God and it's from the heart, great. But most people don't. It's just the right thing we say. How does that other one go? On top and not... I'm trying. Yes, I'm the head and not the... No, it's fine. I mean, it is God's word. But, you know, that's Christianese. We want to move beyond Christianese. We really believe God and we really have confidence and trust in Him. Amen. And so... Where do we discover these realities as far as the reality of our inheritance, the reality of the gospel, the reality that we are sons and daughters of God? Where do we discover those realities? Where do we find out more about our inheritance in Jesus? In God's Word. Amen. That's why we listen to teaching. That's why we read it for ourselves. That's why we ask God to reveal things to us because we discover those things in His Word. His will and testament. So if you've inherited, it behooves you to look at His will and testament so you can see exactly what you've inherited. Amen. So let's read Acts 20, verse 32. Watch this, which will back up that point. This is, again, Paul speaking here. And he says now, And now I commend you to God, placing you in His protective, loving care. And I commend you, read with you what it says next, to the word of his, notice he didn't say to the word of his law. He didn't say to the word of a mixture of law and grace. He said, I commend you to the word of his grace. So this is in essence his farewell. And what he says in that is he says, I'm commending, I'm placing you in God's hands now because I'm going, I'm done. And what I'm also doing is I'm commending you to the word of his Grace. In other words, what I want you to focus on hearing, when you read the word, when you hear the word, when you hear teaching of the word, you will always, you should always see grace. You should always see unmerited favor because that's what the gospel is about. Right? So if you hear a message and you don't hear unmerited favor, you're not hearing the full message. The full gospel, as they say. Right? So to the word of his grace, now just in case... He, you know, the translators, some legalists do that sometimes. You know, I think the translators made a mistake. Well, let's see. To the word of his grace, the counsel and promises, watch this, the counsel and promises, in other words, inheritance, of his unmerited favor. So can you merit his promises? Can you earn and deserve his promises? No. Which is what favor is, right? Uh, grace is, at least. Then he says again, watch this, his grace is able to build you up and to give you the rightful, what's the next word? Inheritance. So how do you discover the inheritance that you have in Jesus, that you share with Jesus, and that you have from God? In the word. And what is it that the word needs to communicate to you? The grace of God. The unmerited favor. That's how you discover your inheritance. You are not going to discover your inheritance through law. Because law, as we've seen, makes a slave out of people. And do slaves inherit? No. So if you hear legalistic teaching, you're never going to discover your inheritance. You may discover formulas on how to do this and how to do that to get the self-improvement ideas and you know, name it and claim it and all that. But that's not your inheritance. That's just putting you on the performance wheel. 
If you declare these things, you'll get this. If you believe this and say it enough times, you'll get this. It's sweet and it's fine, but it's legalism. Because it's, you now, you're going to merit it now. You're going to earn and deserve it now. And this says, yeah, that it's the word of His grace, and His grace reveals His inheritance to you. Are you with me? Then it says, among all those who are sanctified, in other words, already saved, that is among those who are set apart for God's purpose, all believers. Praise God. So how do we discover the reality of our inheritance? God's Word. What does God's Word communicate to us, or it's designed to communicate to us, especially in the New Covenant? His grace. His unmerited favor. Amen. So it is the understanding of God's grace that reveals our true inheritance in Jesus. Right? Do I need to say that again? I'm going to say it for myself. It is the understanding of God's grace that reveals our true inheritance to us. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about our inheritance. And like I said to you, I don't want to make this a long, laborious thing. We're just going to touch on a few and what I believe are the main points to help us see the depth of our inheritance. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about that. First of all, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Talking about salvation. Is salvation your inheritance? Or is it something you work for? No, it's your inheritance because it's given to you by for Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you're saved, right? Yeah. Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent out by God to serve a company, protect those who will inherit salvation? Then he says, of course they are, talking about the angels. But notice, talking about the angels, what he throws in this, he says, the angels are there by God, working for God to protect them, to help them, because they are the ones who inherit salvation. So there's nothing you and I do to be saved other than just receive it by faith, receive it by believing. But it is part of our inheritance. Now, have you ever read anywhere in Scripture, listen carefully, where God took away you can move, yeah, where God took away anyone's inheritance that He gave them. Have you ever seen in Scripture God give something to someone and then take it back? God doesn't work like that. He gives us His inheritance, right? And here it says that you inherited salvation. So can you lose your salvation? No, you can't. Can you reject it? Sure you can. But that's your choice. You walk away from your inheritance. But can you lose it from God's point of view? No, because it's your inheritance. You are eternally saved by grace. That's why it's by grace. It's your inheritance. Salvation is your inheritance. Let me ask you something. If you came to the place where you found out how damned you were in fallen Adam, and that your path for eternity was in hell and destructive, what would you be willing to give up for salvation? Would you hold on to your car? What about your favorite bicycle? What about your favorite computer? Or maybe your Android or iPhone, because you like it so much. God, you can have everything else except my iPhone, because it's my access to the world. <laughs> what about your favorite child? Is there anything you would hold back for salvation? We would give it all if that's what it took, right? And yet God says it is your inheritance. You got it by His grace. But the, the point that I want to bring across is, is that if we were in a dire situation and we knew if I don't do something, I'm going to go to hell for eternity, we would give everything. We would say, God, take everything but my soul, my spirit. Save that because that's going to go on for eternity. Isn't that so? And yet it says that it is our inheritance. That alone just blesses us and puts us over the top. The fact that we are saved, that we have salvation is your inheritance. Secondly, or just another point, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. Eternal life is your inheritance. Spending eternity with God. Not that eternity is a time frame. You know that our minds cannot understand eternity. Give me a definition for eternity. You know what's the best we come up with? Imagine a dove is on earth. And you know how far the moon is from us. Or take the furthest planet known to us, which is 
so far away. And this dove, and there's a diamond there, and this dove is able to fly all the way to the end of the galaxy and with, it, with its beak touch the diamond and then come back. And then keep doing that until he wears out the diamond. How long would it take you, that dove? It's almost an impossibility, right? And this is how people try and define eternity, which is a good picture, I guess. But here's the mistake we make with that. Eternity is not a time measure. It's not a measure of time. Eternity is timeless. When God created creation, when he said, let there be, time began. Let's just say that this measure here is time, all of time. When he said, let it be, time began and the clock started. When Jesus returns and it's all over, time ends. That is a measure of time. You and I are in there somewhere. This is why God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can see it all, right? But he created time for you and I. So eternity doesn't fit in there. Eternity is outside of that. And you and I get to inherit eternal life. How powerful is that? Did we read the scripture? No, okay. Let's read it. It is he who has put, a, put his seal on us, that is, he has appropriated us and certified us as his. See, that's talking about stepping into the reality, becoming sons and daughters. And has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, like a security deposit, to guarantee the fulfillment of his promise of eternal life. So the Holy Spirit in us gives us a small glimpse of what eternity must be like to be with God. But we cannot comprehend the fullness of eternity because when we leave this earth, we step out of the measurement of time and step into God's realm, if you will, which is eternity, which is not measured by time. Are you with me? And that's your inheritance. You get to be with God in eternity, in His realm. That's your inheritance. That's not something you do to work or deserve. It is your inheritance. You get that. Isn't that awesome? All right, so, that's, so salvation is our inheritance. Eternal life is our inheritance. What about this one? Revelation 3, 21. Watch this. He who overcomes, talking about this world, the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? All right, so that's you. So you're going to overcome. I will grant to him or her the privilege to sit beside me on my throne. So part of our inheritance is, is that we get to sit beside Jesus on his throne. Don't ask me how, but I don't think his throne has a limit either. So we're all going to fit in and we're all going to sit with him. That's part of our inheritance. <clears throat> what about this one? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. It says, has in these last days spoken with finality to us in the person of the one who is by his character and nature, his son, namely Jesus, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things. And remember, we are co-heirs with Jesus. So guess what? We are also owners of all things. Through whom also he created the universe, that is the universe, as space, time, matter, continuum. So notice, we inherit all things. So do we have authority over all things? <clears throat> yes, we do. All right, praise God. So let's, moving along, let's have a look at the next thing that we inherit. What about God's promises? They are our inheritance, right? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 19 and 20, from the Passion Translation. Watch this. This is the scripture that we're all familiar with. You know, it says all the promises of God are yes and amen in him, right? Watch how the passion puts it. I love it. Jesus Christ is the son of God, and he is the one whom Timothy, Silas, and I have preached to you. And he has never been both, watch this, a yes and a no. He has always been and always will be for us a resounding Yes. Watch what he's talking about. For, in other words, because 
All of God's promises find their yes of fulfillment in Him. And as His yes and our amen ascend to God, we bring Him glory. So are all of God's promises a resounding yes to you? So if you see a promise, do you have to wonder if that's for you? If you do, it's because you've allowed legalism to make you doubt. But understanding grace and understanding who you are in Jesus, if you see the promise, is it a yes to you? Some of those yeses were like, yes. <clears throat> yes, they are. Of course they are. So are God's promises your inheritance as well? Thank you. Galatians 3 verse 16, watch this. <clears throat> now to Abraham and his, notice capital S. So it's talking about who? Jesus. Capital S, Jesus. Well, you are in Jesus, so essentially it is you. You'll see it. You actually answered ahead of time because it is you. And to Abraham and his seed, capital S, talking about Jesus, were the promises made. What does that tell you? That the promises God made to Abraham were also made to Jesus, right? Now, to qualify that, watch what he says. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, and then he qualifies it and he says, who is Christ? Now, you may say, well, that's a little disappointing because it looks like he made promises to Abraham, and then he also made the same promises to Jesus, but then it's like he goes and he says, not you, don't count yourself in. But the reason for that is, is because Jesus qualified us perfectly, right? And so when we are in Jesus, we become also joint as with Jesus, so we get the promise that God made Abraham. To Abraham, right? So the promises God made to Abraham, as we see there, he also made to Jesus, right? And then watch what Galatians 3 verse 29 says, <clears throat> same chapter. And if you are Christ's, are you Christ's? Then you are Abraham's seed. So when you receive salvation in Jesus, you also become an heir. That's what it means to be a seed. You become an heir of Abraham. And heirs, to qualify that it's a seed, according to the promise. So is the promise, uh, the promises that God made to Abraham also for you? Yeah. And is it your inheritance? Yeah. Because your co is with Jesus. And Jesus also received those promises. Therefore, those promises are also yours. So you inherit the promises of God. Specifically in this case, the promises that God made to Abraham. Would you like to know what those promises are? Yeah. Or be reminded of what they are? There's many, but I'm going to give you just a little touch here. So when we receive salvation in Jesus, we also become Abraham's seed, right? Now, we love Jerusalem, we love the Jewish people, but in truth, we also is of Abraham in Jesus. Amen? And thus is of God's promises to Abraham. Here are the promises. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Watch where God keeps saying what he is going to do for you and I which is what he said to Abraham, and he says to us, and he said to Jesus, right? He says, I will make you a great nation. So who's going to make you great? God is, right? Is your boss going to make you great? Are your parents going to make you great? Is the country you live in going to make you great? No, he says, God will make you great. Then he says, I will bless you. So who's going to bless you? Come on, don't be shy. And then he says, and make your name great. Who's going to make you famous? Who's going to make you viral on social media, whatever your desire is? It is God who will do it. Then he says, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. In other words, those who are for you and with you, they'll have my blessing just because they're with you. But if they decide to take jabs at you and stab you in the back and talk behind your back, they're going to have to deal with me. This is the covenant promise. Amen. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Those promises are ours as well. We've seen that, right? And how does God bless Abraham abundantly, thoroughly, and deliberately? Right? That's how God blesses you, abundantly, thoroughly, and deliberately. I hope you believe that. So, what do we see there so far in what we've read? You and I need to identify with Abraham as well. Because the promises God made to Abraham, and then in Jesus we are made heirs of Abraham, so you need to identify with Abraham. How many people in our nation today, you know, especially if they know for a fact, you know, they may send their DNA to go get tested, whatever, and they may find out that they're actually descendants of some great hero in the past, and so they get the, the placards and they, they, get, they get everything. So when you go to their home, you can see, and, and you know, of course, the conversation starts because they want, they want to brag. You say, oh, so you've got a picture of so-and-so there. Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a great descendant. I'm a descendant of, I'm, I'm, I'm in the line. We brag about those things. We are excited about those things. And yet here it says that you and I are heirs of Abraham. God connected us directly to Abraham so that we can inherit the promises made to Abraham. So yeah, it's great to be born of Jewish descent. But it's even greater to be born again through Jesus because we become direct, immediate descendants of Abraham. And all the promises God made to Abraham are ours. It's your inheritance. Amen. Do you believe that? Do you expect that? Are you sure? Now, legalism may mess us up a little bit and tell us we need to perform. And the reason why this is not happening is because we haven't done this. And, you know, and then you throw in <clears throat> this other one, which I'll reteach on again. Generational curses. How many of you have heard that? Yeah. This is happening to you because your great, 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 whoever, that this is this and that. Uh, the other day I saw something online and I thought, what are you? Are you like a Christian witch doctor or something? Because this person was spewing and ministering to this person publicly on the social media. And they said that God had showed, uh, it happened to be a lady, God showed, had showed her that this person who was messaging and commenting and seeking help uh, had showed her that her great-great-grandfather had molested uh, an immediate uh, uh, relative. And because of that, this person who was seeking help is experiencing all these issues and can't get into a relation. And, and I, I read this for a little while. And I, I was so tempted to dig in and start typing my thing. But you know, I've got another God wants me to get involved in it because I don't have time for nonsense like that. But I want someone set free. And so, you know, um, <laughs> I prayed for that person. I, prayed in the, I spoke in tongues, prayed in the Spirit. But it's just such nonsense that people put out there. They don't have the answer, but to get credibility, they, they kick someone while they're down. And, I mean, let me ask you this question, seeing that I opened that can of worms. Is God your father? Is he your grandfather? Or is he your great-grandfather? Or beyond? He's your father. So are you directly related to him in Jesus? And when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished... He dealt with the whole aspect of sin. Generational curses are iniquity, as you know. Right? That he deal with generational curses. That's why when he rose from the dead, he said, this is your father. Because we have been freed from generational curses. Anyway, I have teaching on that. We'll, we'll get into that sometime, but I don't want to get into it now. But it's, it's, it's unfortunate how the devil tries to get people to put, put stumbling blocks so that they don't see themselves or identify themselves with the promises of Abraham because those promises are ours. Amen? So we need to identify with him and with the promises God made to Abraham. Why? Because it's our inheritance. Amen? So we need to be determined to experience every promise God extended to Abraham. Yes or no? Romans 4.13. Let's read that again. No, we haven't read that yet. Let's, I want to show you something here. Watch what it says about the promises made to Abraham. Paul writing out to the Romans and to us, he says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world, talking about Abraham. So notice how Paul sums up the promises made to Abraham, that he would be the heir of the world. 
That means that you are the, an heir of the world. We are an heir of the world. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world, watch this, was not. What not you say was not? Try and say that with a little more conviction. Was not. To Abraham or to his seed through the law. Say through the law. But through the righteousness of faith. So, question. When, Abraham, when God made the promises to Abraham, was Abraham under the law? The law didn't even exist. The law didn't even come into place. Paul said in Galatians 3.17, I think it is, he said that the law was given 430 years after God made the promises to Abraham. 430 years later, the law was put in effect. So was Abraham under the law? Did he even know what the law was? But yet, Paul is trying to make a point here. He's saying when God made the promises to Abraham, Abraham was not under the law. Therefore, don't try and bring the law into seeing yourself as the promises of those, uh, the, the inheritance of those promises and bring the law into that picture. He says the promises were not made through the law. In other words, God's promises to Abraham, which are your promises, they are not based on your merit or your performance. They are based on God's grace. Don't put conditions to those promises because there are none. That's what he's saying, right? Through the law, but through the righteousness, by believing God for righteousness, like Abraham did. So, not because he followed the law, but because he believed God. In other words, because of grace, it was made to him. Right? So, our inheritance does not come to us on the basis of our merit or performance. Right? It comes to us on the basis of God's unmerited favor, which is grace. Amen? Listen to the statement real carefully. Our achieved perfection is not what causes our inheritance to manifest. Our identification with Abraham's seed, who is Jesus, does. We trust you were blessed by this message. For more resources and to support our ministry, please go to redemptioninjesus.com.